You receive faith by the will of God and your salvation is a beautiful gift. An understanding that is vital to stand against false teachers. Why? Because we live in a day when many say you can work your way to heaven. Oh, if you're just baptized, it washes your sin away. Not in that baptism. No baptism. It says, what must I do to be baptized? The Ethiopian eunuch says, you must first believe and then be baptized. Right? Baptism is a, is a, a byproduct of salvation. It's not by works. It's not by walking some aisle, by praying some prayer. I, listen, I meet people down here and we pray with them, but we want to make sure that we confirm the reality that it is a work of God, that none seek after God. No, not one. That God must first draw man to Himself. Not that you and I love God, but that God loved us, praise God, and sent His Son into the world that we might have life and have life abundant. Welcome to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stewart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he's been teaching a series on 2 Peter. We want to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth of God's Word. We hope that you'll join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here's Pastor Stewart. Well, I've decided to uh, go into the book of 2 Peter and make a shift. And you say, why 2 Peter? Well, it's because I believe we're living in a day when there are churches all over the world who are indwelled with false teachers, preaching false doctrine, preaching false gospels. And what better opportunity than such a time as this to stand for the truth of God's Word, to encourage believers to walk and to be steadfast in the faith, to uphold and to love and to cherish sound doctrine. And so, if I can, this morning I want to draw a big picture of the book of 2 Peter. Really, there is one major theme that runs throughout the entirety of the book. And he makes it clear that in these days we will, listen, encounter false teachers. They existed in his day, they exist in our day, and they will exist in days to come. The the reality is, is we don't lack error in our day. It's on the rise. And what we believe, what we think, matters. And so the book can really be divided into four different sections. Really five different sections. First is the greeting. The greeting is verses 1 to 2. I've compiled them into four, 1 to 11. And this is uh, avoiding false teachers ultimately by understanding salvation. And so we're going to look at that in the first 11 verses. And then chapter 1, verses 12 to 21, we're going to... uh, Avoiding false teachers by understanding the Scripture. And then understanding false teachers by understanding false teachers. Right? That was deep, wasn't it? (laughs) But avoiding false teachers forfully by understanding the future. Now... This is a great outline. There are many you can find online. I found this one online uh, from Dr. John MacArthur, and I thought it was so well put together that why well, try to reinvent the wheel? And But the reality is, is I think it structures the book extremely well. But the focus is the reality is false teachers and how we can have victory as we encounter these teachers in our day. Because, listen... Uh, false teachers don't come as some ugly monster. They don't come into the world as some some two-headed goblin. No, in Genesis 3, we're told the, the serpent was more crafty. I find it interesting that Adam and Eve didn't go, whoa, look at that nasty critter. No, they entertained him. He was a smooth talker. You want to know what a false teacher is? Listen to what they say. They're full of error mixed with truth. It's devastation. And so let's begin by reading our text this morning. And I want us to first observe the person here in verses 1 and 2. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. 
by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The first thing that we see in this text is the author of the book, the person of Peter. We know that from the title it seems very clear that Peter has written the book, though though the titles are not the inspired word of God, they are there to help us understand the author of the book and how to locate the book when we say turn to Second Peter. Otherwise it would be a big pile of text. It would be difficult to know and how to locate. So he begins here with, Verse 1a, Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Listen, we could fill the rest of the morning with this living and active truth. Only two verses in all of what we got to talk about today. The reality is here we find that the writer of the letter is penned by his name, Peter, Simon Peter. This was a common name in the period in which the people wrote their names at the beginning of letters. We live in a day when we write a letter and at the end we sign it John Doe. Back then they would start out the letter with their name. But anyways, he starts out with Simon Peter. Simon was a very common name, and so Simon Peter is placed there to clarify who was indeed the author. Now what is interesting is we really begin to look and understand each word. We believe in this church in a a literal, grammatical, historical hermeneutic. Every word matters. And so as we look at each word, we learn how important they are. Take, for example, Simon Peter. These are the first two words, and some may not be aware that Simon is the name of Peter before the Lord changed his name. John 1.42, it says, He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. It's translated into English as Peter. So Simon was his name before Christ. And Peter was his name after he was renamed by Christ. But here the letter starts, Simon Peter, to clear up any confusion. But the reality is we don't call Saul Paul, do we? We call him Paul, the Apostle Paul. So I find it interesting that it doesn't just say Peter and the text clarify who it is. And so it made me ask the question, why? I think it's a great picture of how sometimes Peter acted like his old self. Don't we do that sometimes? Don't we sometimes live our lives as believers and followers of Jesus Christ who have been transformed by the renewing of the Spirit? We're a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new have come. Yet, in the middle of it all, we go back to our old self. Kind of like having an old car parked in the garage. I could go drive my Ferrari, but for some reason I like to get in my old Chevrolet. Right? Sometimes we get back to our old selves. And we need the reminder that we we have to be careful that we live within our new created beings as Christians, as followers of Christ, as indwelt believers by the Holy Spirit. Peter said, if you recall in Matthew 14, even though all may fall away, I will not. And yet Peter, Simon, denies Christ three times. Don't get me wrong, Peter did great things. He is indeed a godly man. He is a brave soul. He is a faithful brother in the Lord. Peter acted like his old self though many times. And I think we can learn from his mistakes. Don't you recall there in 21 when Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? What did he call him? Did he call him Peter or did he call him Simon? He called him Simon, son of John. Now, if Jesus was the one that changed his name, then why in the world would he call him by his original name, not not Cephas? But it's not a surprise, because in that moment he was living out his old self. 
He was walking in the flesh. Some of us need to be reminded of that this morning. We need to stop living like the old us. Scared, fearful, full of anxiety, worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. When Jesus says, listen, let tomorrow have itself. There's enough worries in itself. You got today. Maybe you're going back into the old self. You're doubting your faith. You've forgotten that you've been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in you. Too many times we go back to our old self. We need to stop that. Because Christ has changed us. He has given us a new life. He has indwelt us with the Spirit of God as believers and followers of Christ. We are new creatures in Christ. Second. Corinthians 5.17, we're new creatures in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new have come. So he says here, Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Christ. He, he calls himself here uh, n- not only by the first name Simon Peter, but also we're told that he is a bondservant. You, you could say slave. This is why it's important to understand the context from the original Doulos is the Greek word that's used. It means a servant. It means a a slave. And listen, the reality is, is we're all called to either be a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. That's our options. We notice that Peter in his own introduction, though, I love shows humility. Notice he doesn't start out with his apostleship. He starts out humble before the people. I am nothing but a bond servant. I, I am the lowly of lowly. I, I don't control my life. I'm under the command of the Lord. Because He understands that His Lord is Christ, and He is the servant of Christ. He is the doulos. How do you view yourself this morning? Do you view yourself as a servant? Jesus and John 13 showed how we should all love one another by serving one another with humility as He washed the disciples' feet. How do you view your own life? Romans 12 says, listen, not to think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Do you consider yourself a servant of Christ? Or do you consider yourself your own God. Do you see that you're not your own? As a Christian, you were bought with a price. That you're not in control of your own life. You're not your own ruler. But we must be willing and submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ as man and woman. William Barclay said to call the Christian the doulos of God means that he is unqualifiedly at disposal, at the disposal of God. Listen, the master could do what he wanted with his servant. The Christian is a doulos of God. We have exterminated our rights and submitted to the absolute sovereign and authority of Almighty God. Or at least we should. God can send us where He wants. God can do with our lives as He pleases. I remember in the university when we had left our career and went from great money to zero overnight, God provided in magnificent ways. But I signed a form that said I would go anywhere, anytime, for any reason, for the sake of Christ. And as I signed that, I I had to ask myself, do I really mean that? Because if I sign that and I mean that, then it means wherever He sends me. And the first destination was in the mountains of Montana. We didn't want to go. It's cold up there if y'all don't know that. I'm from the beach. But God reminds me that I'm His servant. He has purchased me with a price that I could not afford to pay on my own. And it is worth it. So how do you view your life? Because He is sovereign. He is indeed our Lord and our Savior. Listen, sometimes living this life is hard. Because man plans his ways, but listen, the Lord directs his steps. 
We don't like to do what God calls us to do, do we? Why? Because we like to be in control. We like to be in absolute control of our lives. When in reality, we're not in control. If we were in control, we wouldn't get things like cancer. Listen, if we were in control, we we wouldn't have bank accounts that sometimes seem empty. Listen, if we was in control, we would do what we want when we, when we want to do what we want, but we can't. We are under the divine authority of a sovereign God. So He is indeed a servant of Christ. He is living this out as an example, as a humble man. Simon Peter, a bondservant of Christ, and it says, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He, see, he says that he is also not only a, a, a bondservant, but he's an apostle. How do those two intertwine? On one hand, we see humility, and on the other hand, we see absolute God-given authority as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, Peter had the qualities of a leader. Peter is setting the stage for us to remind us of his authority. Peter was indeed a qualified apostle with absolute divine authority. And he spoke on behalf of God. A matter of fact, he spoke the very words of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And thus, he had the authority of a true apostolic apostle. It's important we understand that fact. By the reality that apostles no longer exist today. You have the doctrine of continuationist and the cessationism. Those are your two camps. The continuationists believe that they still do exist in some form, shape, matter. The cessationists say no, after the death of the last apostle, which was the apostle Paul, all of the apostolic industries ended. But even a, even a good continuationist, agrees with that proposition. At least a continuationist that speaks truth and worthy of any benefit to listen. Because why? Because they're honest about the truth of God's Word. They have no agenda of their own other than to teach the truth of the text to the best of their ability. And while we can agree to disagree on some of the other elements, I love their honesty. That's why I listen to men like John Piper. Did you know John Piper's a continuationist? That's why I listen to men like D.A. Carson. Did you know he's a continuationist? It's why I listen to men like Wayne Grudem, who wrote Systematic Theology. Most every Christian university has systematic theology given in their classes. Probably the most sold systematic theology book around. So in one sense, Nathan Busnick reminded us that most continuationists are only closet cessationists. Listen to what Wayne Grudem said. If you don't know who Wayne Grudem is, it's okay. Just know he's got a lot of authority when it comes to the Word of God. He says this, It seems that no apostles were appointed after Paul. And certainly since no one today can meet the qualifications of having seen the risen Christ with his own eyes, there are no apostles today. In place of the living apostles present in the church to teach and to govern it, we instead have the writing of the apostles in the books of the New Testament. Though some may use the word apostle in English today to refer to effective church planters or evangelists, it seems very inappropriate and unhelpful to do so, for it simply confuses people when they read the New Testament and see the high authority attributed to the office of apostle here. It is noteworthy that no major leader in history ever took the title of apostle. Not Athanasius, not Augustine, not Luther, not Calvin, not Wesley, not Whitfield, not John Piper, not John MacArthur, not Billy Graham. None of them 
took the title of apostle. And then he continues, he says, If any in modern times want to take the title of apostle to themselves, they immediately raise the suspicion that they may be motivated by inappropriate pride and desires for self-exaltation, along with excessive ambition and a desire for much more authority in the church than any one person should rightly have. Systematic Theology, page 911. Listen, Peter had apostolic authority, speaks on behalf of God. Now, historically, the term apostle refers to those representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ, men like Peter and, and John and Paul, because they had a special authority. For really, the building up of the foundation of the church is what we find in Ephesians chapter 2. I don't know about your house, but mine has one foundation. And the cornerstone is Christ. No need for another foundation. We have the full and absolute sovereign Word of God, and it is absolutely sufficient for His glory. It's given everything pertaining to life and to godliness. Listen, these men had power and authority. And Peter is setting the stage that his message is, listen, set apart by truth. Peter has made some mistakes, of course, but he wasn't afraid to admit it. He, he, he learned from his mistakes and he's taught us through his mistakes, hasn't he? He was courageous. He stood up for Christ. He was faithful as he was martyred for his faith. He was an obedient man, even when it didn't make sense. Remember when Christ called him to cast his nets? He throws them out in absolute Inability of reality, there should have been no fish there, but they caught so many he had to call in his partners because the boats began to sink and water began to come in because of the magnitude of fish. He was humbled. He was a hum humble man. He considered himself a servant of God. He was a leader of leaders. Paul, listen, was a part of the inner circle. It was Peter, James, and John, if you remember, that were the inner circle, but Peter was the spokesman. When asked, if you remember in Matthew 16, at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus was asking the group, why do you people say, what, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some this and some this, but then Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? That's to the group. And Peter speaks up, the Son of the living God. He said, you are the Christ. As an apostle, one chosen, selected by Christ, Peter, listen, was an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. Directly appointed by Jesus Christ. And he had the apostolic, apostolic gifts for the foundation building of the church, for the framework. And he met the biblical qualifications for apostleship. So we have in a servant, a slave under the authority of God, and yet a man with absolute authority to proclaim the truth of Christ. He was a leader of leaders, and yet he still failed in many ways, and God still used him. Isn't that a great message? You look at all of those that God used in the Bible. Most of them were a mess. It gives me hope. Because sometimes I'm a mess. Sometimes I walk in my flesh. And sometimes I need to re be reminded of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and His mighty forgiveness. And that God, in the midst of whatever it is you've gone through in your life, and some of you, Lord knows, He's, uh, He's done a miraculous work. He's done a miraculous work in my life. God can use you for His glory. And many God is using for His glory. And all the glory and the praise goes to God, doesn't it? Even though we've messed up, even though we've made mistakes, in His great mercy, God can still use us. So we see the person, the author, Peter, who wrote the book. But secondly, I want you to notice the people. The book of First Peter is very clear as to the, who the writer is. 
Now we know it says 2 Peter, so there's some, some inclination that Peter is actually the author of the book. One pastor said it this way, 1 Peter um, is like the key was in the door, so to speak. But with 2 Peter, it's not so clear from the text. It's more like the key is under the mat and you got to go find it and dig for it. But he doesn't leave us in the blind. No, a matter of fact, he clarifies for us in chapter 3 here when he says, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. It's the second letter of Peter. So here we have a direct link back to 1 Peter chapter 1. As it reminds us again, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. So not only do we know that it is Peter who is writing the book, we know who he is writing to, the people. And these are the Christians. He's writing to the same Christians that were scattered throughout modern-day Turkey. And it gives us by way of reminder... He says, listen, sometimes I can be very repetitive in my preaching. You may say, well, Pastor, I feel like you share the gospel too much. We hear just about every Sunday, well, praise, the God, praise God. Um, we have new people every week. We have people online. We, we need the gospel. They need the gospel. It is the power to save. But, but I'm reminded, even if you read through Second uh, uh, Peter, he, he says it's important that I bring to your remembrance what I've said. I've reminded you. I've been repetitive. God's Word and God's truth should cause an excitement, no matter how many times we hear it. No matter how, how, no matter how many times that it is said. And this is what Peter doing. He is by way of reminding uh, others what the letter uh, has already said before for the benefit of ourselves today. Yes, there is a different intention, purpose, but nonetheless, the same group. These people were scattered. Uh, the Greek word diaspora means sowed like seed. Th though many of the people were scattered due to persecution, God is bringing the gospel to new people in new places throughout the diaspora as they are scattered. God is always working to bring the knowledge of Himself to people. And the devil, listen, is in the same way working through the false teachers of the day. And Peter knows this, and he is going to stir us up by way of reminder. And so he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, Peter understands that we will, listen, encounter false teachers in our lives. And he wants us to be prepared to stand against them. And this is an important thought here in this verse. We must understand our salvation, guys. Because one area the enemy tries to distort is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if he can make an unbeliever think he is saved by some attitude or action that he has done, he's won the battle. And so he wants us to understand our salvation. So he says, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. Salvation has always been the same. And the foundation... Of that is the same for them as it was now for us. The source has always been the same. But notice what he says here. To those who have been faithful. Those who have received faith. Don't miss that. Because to receive something implies that salvation is a gift. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Great electric power company is a great way to remember that. So he says, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. He says, 
For we are His workmen. I'm sorry, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Did you notice that? For by grace you have been saved through faith. In this, not of yourselves. It's a free gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen, the source of our salvation has always been a work of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Flip over to Titus chapter 3. We're just going to have a little Bible challenge here. I, I Listen, I, I want to confirm that my words are not my own, but of the Word of God. Go to, go to chapter 3 of Titus, verse 4. It says, but when the kindness of our God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Who did, who's doing the work? God's doing the work. He saved us. Listen to this. He confirms it. Not on the basis of deeds which have been done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. And then He clarifies it even deeper. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. Listen, at conversion, God by His great mercy and miraculous work indwells you with the Spirit of God so that you can now be crucified with Christ. And it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. It's the beauty of the gospel. It gives you power. He gives you the illumination. He tells you in your soul that what you're doing is wrong. And His Word, He reminds you. Those who have received a faith. Salvation is a gift, guys. The, 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 the verb here, loncano, which we translate into English as received or obtained, means uh, given by allotment. This was the very practice of casting lots in their days. If you recall in the book of Jonah, throughout that book, the, the men cast lots to see who the problem was that was on the ship, and the lots fell to Jonah. Listen, it, it's a divine gift. Faith is not received, it's not earned, it's given. It's received. You receive faith by the will of God, and your salvation is a beautiful gift an understanding that is vital to stand against false teachers. Why? Because we live in a day when many say you can work your way to heaven. Oh, if you're just baptized, it washes your sin away. Not in that baptism. No baptism. It says, what must I do to be baptized? The Ethiopian eunuch says, you must first believe and then be baptized. Right? Baptism is, a, is a, a byproduct of salvation. It's not by works. It's not by walking some aisle, by praying some prayer. I, listen, I meet people down here and we pray with them, but we want to make sure that we confirm the reality that it is a work of God, that none seek after God. No, not one. That God must first draw man to Himself. Not that you and I love God, but that God loved us, praise God, and sent His Son into the world that we might have life and have life abundantly. Please listen to me. You can't do anything to make yourself right with God. Because you have offended God by breaking the law of God. And Isaiah 59.2 says, Our sin has made a separation between us and our God. And if there is absolutely no way to be saved by doing something, and we are separated from God, and the question is, how do we get back? How do we reestablish that broken relationship with God? Well, the Bible says that He loved us and sent His Son. He reestablished that relationship by providing a method, a way, a person, Jesus Christ. Listen, we have broken the law of God and any good judge will judge justly. 
he will declare you guilty. Otherwise, he is an unrighteous judge. Therefore, the judge must judge righteously because God is just. He is just all the time. Good works don't do away with a verdict of guilty. They don't obtain forgiveness. They're a byproduct of salvation. Going to church, reading our Bibles, giving to the poor, those things in themselves are great, but they have nothing to do with regeneration. What does regeneration mean? Well, regeneration is an instantaneous work of the Holy Spirit for which He removes the sinful nature of a dead man and parts a new nature that is now responsive to God. And He receives a new life and He is born again. Listen, is regeneration necessary? Yes. Look at John 3.3. Man, I should have marked out all these. This little text, I'm going blind up here. John 3.3. We're going to do a little journey through the Scriptures here. Must we be regenerated? Well, what does He say here in John 3? As He's talking about the new birth. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Flip back now to John 1.13. I don't even think I have slides for these. Yeah, good. We need to bring our Bibles to church. John 1.13. I'll start in 12. But as many as received Him to them, He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but how? By God. So how is regeneration taking place? By God. Titus 3.5. We've already said it. Let's go over there again. Titus 3.5. He saved us, not on the basis of the deed which we've done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Listen, we're regenerated not only by God, but by God the Holy Spirit as well as God the Father. Look at Romans 10. Romans 10, 17. So, how are we regenerated? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. We want to be regenerated. Listen, it's by God. It's by God the Father. It's by the Holy Spirit. It's through the Word of God. The working and the wooing of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. So what should be the effect of regeneration? Well, look at Ephesians 2.5. Well, we've already looked at that. We're new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new have come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 There is action there is something that takes place. We, we just don't claim to be Christians. No, we, we walk like Christians. We talk like Christians. We, it comes out of us. What's in you will come out. It consumes our lives. And no matter where we are, our hope, our purpose, our goal is the proclamation of the gospel for the glory of God. The Bible says you should bear fruit as a regenerated person. Look at Philippians 2.13. Philippians 2.13, Great Electric Power Company. So my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Flip over to Ephesians 2 again while we're flipping. We as workmanship, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works 
which He, God, prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. Listen, regeneration affects our lives, guys. It's, It's one thing to claim to be a Christian. It's another thing to live it out, to walk out the walk. When you are regenerated, listen, you become powerfully determined. Why? Because you have been regenerated and regeneration is to be defined as the start of a new inclination toward holiness. There must be progressive sanctification. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. Let me tell you, man, I'm getting excited. I love the Word of God. Hmm. If I can find it. It's kind of like you know the word and where it's at, but you can't, you know, it's on the right side of the page, down about there. My visual learning there. Verse 14, Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all men. And the sanctification. Listen, this is a warning, guys. Without which no one will see the Lord. Listen, if there is no progressive sanctification in our lives, we will not sniff heaven. Because when we are changed, when we are renewed, the gospel is lived out. There is no way that I can have an encounter with the Almighty God unto salvation and not be changed. There is no way that I can walk out in that street and be hit by a Mack truck and come back in and go, oh, you know, sorry, I'm late. No, no, no. What happened? I got hit by this Mack truck and, you know, I had to pick myself. No, no, no. You would say that's impossible. And I'm telling you this morning, listen to me clearly. If God has saved your soul, you will be on fire for Christ. You will love the things of the Lord. And not only will you love the things of the Lord, you will walk in them. You will walk in them. Listen, the evidence of your salvation is not that you pray to prayer, but that it is continue walking with Him. The perseverance of the saints. And He indwells us and gives us that ability. Oh, the beauty of transformation. The enemy wants to attack salvation. He wants to create some false envision of it. Listen, Colossians 1.22 says, Although you previously alienated and hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deed, yet has now reconciled, He has now reconciled you in His body of flesh through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless above reproach. You were once this. Oh, but when the work of Almighty God penetrated your heart and led you into salvation, you changed. You changed. I know many people that I've known when I lived here. And when they see me today, I'm a different man. Am I perfect? No, as one one man says, I'm imperfectly imperfect, or perfectly imperfect. That's the beauty. Christ is perfect. He has won the victory. If you are saved, God in His great mercy has opened your eyes and shown you His great mercy. You have received salvation, listen, by the divine will of God. What a great mystery it is. Now believe that God wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. At least that's what He says in His Word. But listen, this salvation, the indwelling of the Spirit of God, is vital in order to stand against the false teaching of our day. Because we need discernment. And discernment, listen, is a gift of God. Given by God. Not everybody has the gift of discernment. Not everybody has the gift of whatever they got. It is a God-given gift. You don't get to choose it. You can't earn it. You can't create it. It is a gift of God. We can't operate and understand false teaching unless we have been indwelt with the Spirit of God. And later we'll learn that once saved, always saved. Once converted, always converted. We we believe in this church in eternal security. Because what God began, it says He will complete. That's the beauty of the gospel. Once you become a child of God, you're always a child of God. Listen, I have seven children. The chances of one of them messing up is pretty good. 
Now, I try to teach them that their, their mistakes affect my ministry and my life, but more importantly, I love them. They're my children. And it doesn't matter how much they dislike my message. It doesn't matter how much they dislike God. It doesn't matter what they do to me or what they do in this world. They are still my children and I love them. And let me tell you something. When you become a child of God, don't be manipulated into thinking that you can lose it. If you can lose it, you never had it. Because God is who confirms salvation. It is God who gives you the right to become children of God. And when you become a child of God, you're a son, you're an heir, and He loves you. That's the beauty of the Gospel. So this letter to the Christians has been given the gift of salvation, and at the same time, as Peter says, what does he mean as the same kind as, as ours? Does he mean like positionally? or Well, the phrase sometimes, listen, can mean equally or in value or equal in privilege. So what does he mean here? Is he speaking of the Jew-Gentile conflict? What, what kind of salvation is ours? Well, look at Acts chapter 15, if you will. Acts chapter 15. I'm going to look at verses 5 to 11. He says, but some of the sects of the Pharisees who had believed stood up, saying it's necessary to circumcise them, to direct them to observe the law of Moses. These are, by the way, Judaizers. The apostles and the elders came together to look in this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter, there's our man, stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He has also done to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. How is it? By faith, not by works. Not by circumcision, not by baptism, not by infant baptism, by His faith in Christ. Now therefore, verse 10, why do you put God to the test? By placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we are saved through grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are also saved. When he says the same kind here, Peter is referring to the salvation of both Jew and the Gentile. He has crossed the, the barrier. The gospel doesn't, doesn't look at the color of your skin. The gospel doesn't look at your social reality. It doesn't look at how much money you make or how little money you make. No, the gospel penetrates either male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, because it is unto the whole world, the gospel is. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For we are all one in Christ Jesus, we're all saved by the same way. That's His point, not by works. It's, by the, it's not by the, the, the righteousness of your deeds, but the, by the righteousness, it says in our text this morning, the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, some like to pervert that. By the way, I just want to enlighten you on that. That the confused generation we live in use this as a proof text for homosexuality, transgenderism, the LBGTQ, LM1234 to 100, whatever it is. They use this and say, see, there's neither male nor female. No, no. <laughs> Listen, they're still Jew, they're still Gentile, they're still female and they're still male, they're still Greek and they're still Jew. What he's saying is in Christ, our salvation, God saves mankind. He doesn't see with the eyes of flesh. So when you see we place our faith in Jesus Christ, He declares us righteous. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. When we are saved, listen, we are justified. We are, we are declared right before God. We call this justification because He has declared us right before God. And when you are not saved, you are not righteous in the eyes of God. You are a lawbreaker and you're in need of justification. You're in need of being declared right before a holy and perfect God. Because you are not in Christ. But when God sees the believer, my friends, He sees the blood of Christ. He sees our sin forgiven, taken away. He has imputed His righteousness. He has credited to our account. Now the process in which we are becoming righteous is what we call sanctification. That is what God is every day making us more into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And when we face God one day, not only will we be justified and sanctified, we will be glorified. Oh, how I long for the day of glorification. I mean, I don't, don't get me wrong, I don't want to leave yet. I, I'd love to see my children grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ and have grandbabies and like a hundred of them. But the reality is, Oh, what a day it will be when we see the Lord face to face. All of the pain, all of the suffering. There is so much pain in our world. There are so many people going through so much. Oh, what day of glorification, how wonderful it will be. But that is to only those who put their faith in Christ. So we as Christians through faith declare are declared right before God because it's only Christ's perfection. Jesus is the only way. He, he is not a way. He's not the best way. John 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus makes our justification before God possible. It's all about Christ. Listen, there will be people that will challenge you in your faith. That you must do this or you must do that in order to be saved. But their, their teachings are false. And they're twisted. It, 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 listen, in my experience, the number one methodology of the cults, and what I mean cult, is those people who deny the deity of Christ. And they all have one thing in common. They deny the deity of Christ. The Jehovah's Witnesses will come to your door and they'll knock and they'll try to make you think, well, we believe the same thing. We believe the same Jesus. We do not believe the same Jesus. They do not believe in the deity of Christ. Let me tell you, Revelation chapter 1. Flip over there if you will. Revelation chapter 1. This will give you food for thought. Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 reminds us, I am the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God, who is and who was and is, is who to come. And I'll ask those Jehovah's Witnesses when they come to the door, who's that speaking? Who do they have to say? They have to say it's God. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord God, who was and who is and who is to come. Fast forward. Continue on. Verse 17. Same context, same chapter, same conversation. When I saw Him, I fell at His feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and of Hades. Are you telling me God died? No, Christ died. Christ is the exact representation of God in flesh. They deny the deity of Christ. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, they deny the deity of Christ. Listen, there are things we must stand on as Christians. There are things to die on the hill and the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the Trinity, all of those are extremely important. There are some things we can disagree on. That's okay. You want to believe in speaking in tongues? That's fine. I don't agree with it. I don't think it's biblical anymore. That's okay. We can agree to disagree. I had a conversation with a gentleman the other day who's highly respected. And we talked about the necessity in our country, in our culture, to be able to have differences of opinion without thinking I hate you. 
we don't agree on everything. Can we just grow up, America, and agree to disagree on certain things that are non-essentials? That's vital. That's important. But here the enemy wants to distort the gospel. But not, Peter's not going to allow it. Do we truly understand the gospel? Because when we meet Christ, it will be absolutely vital. It's all about Christ. Peter continues in verse 2 explaining what we receive as Christians. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You see, grace is given to those in Christ. And when grace is given, peace is brought about. Grace is God's favor on us. God bestowing on us something we don't deserve. Getting something other than what we genuinely deserve. And that is the wrath and the pure flaming wrath and justice of God. Listen, grace always precedes peace. Don't miss that. Peace comes after we receive the grace of God. Because grace of God produces peace with God. And it's not until we experience uh, peace with God that we can truly experience the peace of God in our lives. So he says, grace and peace be multiplied. This is something that should be growing in our lives. The number one prayer request I get is I'm anxious and I'm concerned about our country and what we are going to do. Listen, we as Christians should be walking in peace. Doesn't mean we don't stand for truth. Doesn't mean we don't stand up for our rights. But what it does mean that when all of the chaos is unfolding, oh, it's okay. We know the end. We know who wins. They might win the battle, but we win the war. We must have peace. We must be growing. Can I get real for, with you for a minute? I don't see much peace among Christians these days. Flip over to John 14. This was the first message I was supposed to preach. So I kind of know it. John 14. Jesus is going away. He promises the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going away, but I'm going to send you the helper. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but, but, but I'm going to be in you. And then notice what He says in verse 27 of John 14. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Do not let your heart be fearful. Listen, the peace of God comes from God in the form of the indwelling of the Spirit of God in the life of the believer. The Word reminded me that I am not my own. I'm a doulos of Christ. I've been purchased with a price. And listen, it's okay to have struggles in this life. It's okay to wonder what in the world is happening in my life. Why is there so much pain? Why is there so much suffering? And sometimes it's even okay to ask God, what? Why? What are you trying to teach me, Lord? Because struggle is real. Pain is real. And many times it's confusion. And wondering what in the world God is doing. Why is life so hard? It's important to remember that grace and peace be multiplied to us in our lives as Christians. And God can give us a comfort. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things with prayer and supplications, with thanksgiving, make your requests made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You know why people are not walking around in peace? Because they're focused on this world. 
We are aliens and strangers, folks. This is not our home. Doesn't mean we don't stand up for our rights. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's what the Scripture teaches. Listen, God is going to work in magnificent ways for His glory in the midst of the trials. But people are focused way too much on this world. And listen, maybe today, God will punch your time clock and your life on this earth will be over. Stop and consider that for a moment. Young people, listen. You will die or Christ will return. It's a reality. And today could be the day in which your life is over. Let that soak in for a minute. All of eternity is ahead of you. For those in Christ, oh, it's the glory of, the, of being with Christ. For those not in Christ, it's still eternity separated from God. If today is your last day, how would you change your life? Nothing you have, nothing you accomplish in this life that is not kingdom work will not stand the test of fire. So where are we spending our time? Are we focused on kingdom work are we focused on this world? Use what God has given you. Your gifts, your talents, your time, your treasure. Use what God has given you, listen, for eternal purposes. He has gifted you with the spiritual gift for the edification of the church, for the body of Christ. Use your gifts wisely. Because you and I never know the day of when the Lord will call us home for eternity. Colossians 3, 1-3, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things which are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Sometimes, listen, we need to simply take our focus off of ourselves, our plans, our objectives, and God says, serve me. Spend the time with me on eternal things, not the temporal things. Stop seeking the things that are seen because those things that are seen are temporary, but the things which are unseen, those are eternal. There will never be peace on earth. There will be tribulations. But have no fear. Jesus says, I've overcome the world. This is what people are missing. Maybe you're here today and you confess Christ and you're not experiencing grace and peace. Trust in the Lord. Test your faith. Because grace and peace be multiplied to you and it comes from the knowledge of God when you know who God is, when you know that God is sovereign, when you know that God loves your life, when you know He knows how many hair is on your head or the lack thereof. He knows your name. He loves you. And when you know God, that you are a child of God. Oh, what a blessing it is here. It's the knowledge of God and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, who they are, what they promise, how they work, how they've accomplished salvation that will result in the multiplication of grace and peace. Today is the day of salvation. A guy called me on the phone like 10 times yesterday. I finally answered. 
Because I hate those red dots on my phone. Like the unanswered stuff, I'm like OCD. Like I, I just got to clear them out. So I finally answered the phone and the guy says, Hey, Pastor Stewart, how are you? I said, I'm doing great, man. How are you? Are you busy? Yeah, I'm in the middle of preparing a sermon. Well, do you have a minute? <laughs> sure. Have a minute. Well, is this a good time? Well, listen, you got me on the phone. It's the best time while you got me. And I was reminded of this. Now is the best time. Today is the day of salvation. Why? Because you're here. And God has given you breath. And He has given you life. And your days are numbered. And His appointed man wants to die. Then comes the judgment. And so listen, today is the day of salvation. Don't put off till tomorrow because tomorrow is not guaranteed. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that God burst through the floor system of heaven and invaded earth, lived the perfect life that you couldn't live, died on the cross for your sins, was buried and raised again unto the Father where He intercedes on our behalf. And when we put our faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible says we will be saved. Call on the Lord. You lack one thing, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And then when the false teachers come to try to distort it, it will be like a, a wall that they can't get across because we are sealed like the ark. We're sealed inside and protected from the elements on the outside. Believe today. For those who are already Christians, those who have put their faith in Christ, stand firm in the faith. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Because God has great and mighty plans for your life. You were chosen by God before the foundations of the world. And you've placed your faith in Christ and you've been indwelt with the Spirit of God. Now go out of these doors today and be bold for Christ, for the truth of the Gospel. Because if we're not sharing the good news of Christ, who will? Listen, it's, it's faith over the faults. Let's pray. We want to thank you for joining us on our program today. We pray that you are challenged and encouraged and hope that you'll stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through 2 Peter. If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join our worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina on Sundays at 11 a.m. Our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. For more information about the church, visit us at FamilyBibleFellowship.org. You can also follow us on social media through Facebook, Twitter, and Telegram. 